0: At the uh, first 14 verses of 1 Corinthians 9, but you can't take this text out of 8 and 10, or you end up with an oddity. Let's read the first 14 verses, and then uh, we'll ask the Lord to direct us. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If the others, if to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have the right to refrain from working, who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it, who or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it is written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we endured all things so that we would cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Father, I ask now that you instill in our hearts the the purpose of this text. Father, the plan that you have, the words that you've pinned, and that, Father, that we would embrace it and cherish it. Father, that we would understand that it is not a, a thing that we do, but it is a thing that you would do through us. Father, may we bow to your word. May we hear you, Lord, and only fall more in love. May we understand that your teaching is for our benefit and our blessing. Father, may we embrace you, Lord, and you alone. And Father, beginning with my heart and with the hearts of these precious people, Father, may the soil be fertile and may your word find deep root and may our love grow with every breath you grace us until the day our faith becomes sight. To you, my Lord, and you alone. In Christ's name. Amen. What we're looking at is chapter 9, is Paul, he has set a principle up in chapter 8. And in chapter 9, he is showing this principle exercised in his own life. How did I exercise the principle? And the principle is the limits of our Christian freedom. I look at this sort of in the, the gray areas of our decision making. Uh, there are certain things that the Bible is emphatic about. Uh, thou shalt not steal. It doesn't take a theologian to understand that text. Okay, um, he can, several times in the New Testament you'll see the contrast between the flesh and the spirit. And those things are pretty straightforward and clear. But there are things in our lives that come up to what I call gray areas. The Bible does not speak of it. And how do I make a decision based on these things? Uh, based in the light of God, and and we looked at it in chapter eight. That knowledge uh, that does not have love is arrogant. It is just it's loud. It is useless. In chapter thirteen, you'll see it's just noisy. All right, meaning that it, 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 if you he uses it, it, clang a gong. What is the purpose of clanging a gong? What does it do? Nothing. It makes a loud noise. And knowledge without love. Is a loud noise. Uh, I shared with you that knowledge, if it goes out, and it's just based on knowledge, and I send my knowledge out, my knowledge begins with me and it ends with me. Okay, But the love that Jesus Christ has poured in His, the hearts of His people, it begins through us. It comes out. And where does it end? With other people. All right. So we called it, and we've been looking at a thing that I've titled over the last few weeks, The Limits of Christian Freedom. The limits of my freedom are based on... Love. There are different spiritual levels of people. Okay? Chronology does not play into it. Okay? I have seen spiritual giants that were infants in Christ theologically. I have seen theological giants that were infants in Christ. All right? They become legalistic, and that is an infant in Christ. It is not your or my responsibility to take people from their spiritual place and drag them to a more maturity Uh, i see people try to do this with their children all right your children uh are at different ages you do not give the baby steak and potatoes all right you you bring that child up you don't hurry that you can't make a child walk quicker than the child is capable of walking and yet how many times do we try to do that with christians you know, I need to take you. And basically, uh, I shared with you, don't ever override a person's conscience. And if your love is true, you'll be listening more than you'll be speaking. You've got to grab a hold of this. We struggle with this, each of us. If somebody comes to you for counseling, you immediately want to give them doctrine and verse. Okay? You know, counseling is, 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 a, is a thing when a person is asking for my advice. Okay? Give me instruction on this. Okay. Um, there's really only two things I look for are they struggling with the sin and how is God's glory and His holiness manuf- manufactured in the situation and I you know those people say well that's too simplistic well you're going to make it as complicated as you want <laughs> alright and, and I'm not saying that to stir up anything I'm saying that the, am I listening to what the Spirit of God is saying or am I listening to what the Spirit of man is saying? And the basis for this book started in chapters 1, 2, and 3. And it was the philosophy of man, which is his wisdom, and I bring that wisdom into the things of God and I think I'm going to get a clearer view of God's wisdom? No. So the Apostle Paul in chapter 9 says, I want to show you how knowledge... Through love works. He started out with the first six verses. I'm an apostle. He, he defined what an apostle is, and then he has proven the, his apostleship. Uh, he defined it. Have I not seen the Lord? And are you not the work of my Lord? Okay, that's, that's the work of an apostle. Alright, not only that, you are the seal of my apostleship. So it was proven Alright, that verse 3 gets a little complicated. Is this should actually go first. Okay, meaning this is my defense to those who examine me. Alright, so then he comes back with an argument in verse 4. Don't I have the right to eat and drink? Okay. Um don't I have a right to take along a believing, literally, sister as a wife, as the rest of the apostles and Barnabas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have the right to refrain from, do not have the right to refrain from working? Meaning that we preach the gospel and we have a part-time job to actually meet our needs. Alright, so what he's saying is, as an apostle, do I have a right for you, the church in Corinth, to meet my physical needs because of my apostleship? What's the answer? Absolutely, absolutely. What he does next in seven through eleven is he lays out reasons that a pastor, an apostle, the messenger of God, should be paid. I mean, that, I mean, that if you were going to take a sermon and make it stand by itself, I've seen it done with this text, maybe too much. But basically, seven through eleven, I have an analogy, all right, and it's defined and proven, all right. But basically, I seen when I started looking at other men's writings on this, I always got this five reasons to pay the preacher outlines, and that is in this text. Don't get me wrong, but the context is eight through ten, actually eight through eleven one. All right and in that the apostle Paul is saying the reason I didn't take money from you is that you I would not be a hindrance to people on the outside. I look around today we don't have any visitors. All right? Because when a visitor comes in and you're teaching on this text, what do they say? There's in Baptist preachers teaching on giving again. That's all they ever teach on. And I think that's why God hasn't given us any visitors so they don't think the Baptist preacher is teaching on giving again. Though that is in this text. Okay? There's a better text for paying the preacher that I like. I like the one on double honor. Okay? He is worthy of double honor. I just... Throw that one out for you, just in case you wanted to hear me preach on giving. <laughs> okay, uh, so uh, I'm I'm not into the tie tithe. I'm into the double honor thing. Anyway, but Paul, as an apostle, he's saying I have a right in my freedom in Christ to be supported for my ministry. All right, he gives some analogies. Uh, what I, I look at verse seven as. This is usual custom. Alright, look what he says here. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense. Okay, that's what he gives. Okay, the Greek structuring of this is, 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 is kind of funny, but it's given in a way that says the answer is obvious. Alright, and that, it's the way Greek philosophers would write, I will, I will make such an absurd question that the answer is obvious. Okay, he does it again in verse 10. All right, but, but, but it's, it's phrased in such a way that, you know, well, the, the answer is obvious. This is during Roman, the, the Roman Empire. And when Rome would conquer a country, they would gather up the able-bodied men and they would give them an option. You can go play with the kitty cats, the, you know, the big cats in the theater for, for the, for the interp- entertainment of the Roman citizens. Or you can be one of our soldiers, Okay, and you know, the guys would sit and go home, talk with their wives. What do you think? Should I go out and be bait for lions or should I go fight? But even when they would take this soldier who was a conquered people, they would pay him. They would give him food. They would give him clothing. All right. But you know what else they paid him? Salt. Salt. Have you ever heard the statement, he's not worth his salt? You know where that comes from? Roman Empire. Why? You can't preserve food. I mean, you couldn't, you didn't go to the refrigerator and get you out a big old steak. So the only way to preserve food for any duration was to salt it. All right? So salt was one of the most priceless commodities that there was. So you got paid with salt. And then you could barter your salt and get you some mangoes and Pears and apricots, whatever you was into. But you could take your salt. And that basically was a form of of, of spending money, of, of bartering, making the economy. But the soldier, even the, the conquered man, when he came a Roman soldier, the Roman soldiers took care of him. Think about it. Would you want your soldier to go out in battle or be on patrol during the day and then at night have to go work a job to meet his meals? Okay, that's what the Apollo, that's what Paul is saying. That's kind of silly, don't you think? No soldier. He starts it off. Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Okay. Now, where is he dealing with? He's saying, how does the soldier make his living? By being a soldier. All right. He says this is human custom. Look around you, Corinthians. Is this not normal that a man earns his living by his work? He gives another one there, the next picture, right? Verse 7, who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Okay. Uh, vineyards were, were big and massive. They were all over the place. And basically in the vineyard, you would take that. Um, there was multiple things you could do with the grapes. Some, you could just sell them as grapes like uh, in the produce in our supermarkets. Sometimes you would press the grapes and you would make a, a grape juice and then you would let that ferment to a point and then you could sell it as wine. And then the grape mash... You would use that uh, almost like a jelly, a jam, and you could pro- get produce out of that. And basically the guy who had the vineyard, he would be doing all of these different things with his, um, with his grapes. So he would have multiple different little situations that he could literally make some money, make a living with the grapes, the vineyard that he had raised. All right. So he, he used, it's a very clear picture, isn't it? I mean, the guy, who, the guy who raises grapes doesn't sit there and die of starvation because I didn't earn a living. Somebody else took my grapes. But that's Paul's argument. So he's given two. Alright, he's given two. But he gives a third one. The herdsman, the shepherd, alright? Who tends a flock and does not use the milk of that flock? Alright, so Paul's asking questions. I mean, the shepherd raises the flock. In that, he'll have goats. He would have sheep. And there would, one of the delicacies is goat milk. I mean, when I was in Israel back in, in the spring, you've seen it all over the place. Nasty smelling stuff. Okay? And I'm thinking, I'd never make it on that. <laughs> I mean, if I wasn't lactose intolerant, I would be. <laughs> because had, my bus driver was Bedouin and. He says, you want some of this? And I started to drink it and I got it to my nose and said, no. <laughs> I don't know what it tastes like, but my nose says, don't put that in your mouth. And, and I, but all I could think of, because when you would go down, when there's a road, a highway that would go down out of Jerusalem and go down into Jericho. And I mean, literally, when Jesus said he was in Jericho and says, we're going to go up to, to Jerusalem boy was that an understatement because he was going to go to 3,000 feet above elevation and he was starting at 1,000 feet below so when he said I'm going up he meant like up okay anyway so he, he was going to go up alright and, and and when I was going through these hillsides you'd see these goat people all over not people goat herders all over the place and I, I don't know what these animals were eating all there was was rocks and they were everywhere and you just sat there and looked around and it felt like you had done some kind of time travel thing but you knew that these people were making a living and then i thought well how do you make i mean they're out here in the middle of nowhere but then i had gone on to the other side of jerusalem between jerusalem and where's that other bethlehem and there's a basin that is down in there and it was full and all these people were coming up with their goats, and they had goat milk and these big clay pots and they had fur and, and wool and all this other stuff that they were they were literally bartering between the city of Jerusalem and, and the city of Bethlehem all right How are they making their living off of the goats i 'm not raising these goats because i 'm a goat lover i 'm raising these goats because I need to provide for my family okay Paul gives these Pictures so that you could look in everyday life. Okay? And he was showing that all three of them are cared for out of their occupation. That's what Paul's argument is. All right? Why not the servant of God? Why not the servant of God? Who tends the flock? Does not use the milk? Okay? But he's so cool about it because we would look at this, right? And we'd say, Have you ever dealt with spiritual people? Huh? Have you ever watched you ever seen? Yeah. Have you ever seen people that shift into spiritual? As soon as they. I have people, I mean, and their faces change. You know, when people find out what I do for a living, all of a sudden they become spiritual. And all of a sudden they're going, whoa, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Did that hurt? It's just weird. It's a phenomenon. Every once in a while I do it just to see if they'll do it. That's just that part of me, my flesh raises up and says, watch me make their face look funny. Uh, But but they shift. I need to start speaking spiritual now, okay? And what would be an argument that would come out of this? That's secular man. We're talking about the high things of God, okay? So what does Paul say in verse 8? Am I not speaking these things according to human judgment? Then what does he throw in there? Am I? Okay? So the Corinthians would all be sitting around saying, well, that's just the way man does it and it's all the rest of it. You know, and God will provide your needs. Okay? Right? Isn't that what it says? Oh, brother, let me tell you, I'm praying for you. Huh? Haven't you ever seen it? Listen, we're all guilty of it. I've seen it. I was talking to a missionary one time. And he says he loves being a missionary. Why? He says he never has to struggle with materialism. (laughs) <laughs> Why? He says, I never have enough to worry about it. Okay? And how come we give that way? We're all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. Why? Well, I don't want the man of God to be stumbling. You know? He may have to worry about whether he has too much money and then he'd have to fret over it. And I wouldn't want that sin on my head. <laughs> right? The missionary, he needs a new suit. Look at that ragged thing. Don't worry, brother. I've got one I haven't worn in years. He can have mine. And I can get a $45 tax receipt for it. Now listen, these are things that I've heard from other people. Um, a few years ago, do you remember this? When Colorado was getting ready to pace, uh, don't uh, hinder the servers or something like that. And they were wanting to take tax-exempt status away from the churches. Anything that's tapped tax exempt they're wanting to remove the status you know what the biggest complaint was giving a go down if we can't get a tax write off for it I said through three meetings where they were trying to gather people to work and they said that we've got to stop this amendment if this amendment comes in giving will dry up and I thought well okay whatever alright what's what he does he says is this a human judgment is this the way humans are this you know if I'm a soldier he gets paid look what he says and he throws that am I in there I love that because that's that sarcasm alright and you know what people I've been accused of being sarcastic and that's a truth alright but have you ever read Job huh I mean my creator is sarcastic Uh, Were you there when I flung the stars into the heaven? That's sarcasm, people. I don't care what you say. Were you there when I laid the foundations of the earth? No. All right. And basically, that's sarcasm. So it comes from a good line of sarcastic people. All right. What does he say next? Am I? That's the sarcasm. Does not the law also say these things? You know what I like about that? We like to think that I have this job. Now, I will take this to the, what are we in, the 21st century now? Whatever century we're in now. Take this today and think about your job. All right? And you make a living at your job. And you believe that it was your idea, capitalism, or the product of the United States who produced this thing. And you've deceived yourself. This was God's plan. Did you know that? Do you know that working for a living was God's plan? The first thing you see God doing is what? Working. And he, and we like to say, I am after His image. As long as I don't have to work. Right? But the truth of the matter is, work is a privilege that is given to a Christian to exalt the glory of God. That's amazing. Well, my job... Whoa, be careful. You may be telling God you don't appreciate what He's doing for you. And He can fix that. (laughs) I've seen Him. Okay, you don't like it? No problem. (laughs) You can sit on the exit ramp. Um, He says... Does not the law also say this? And you just sit there and go, wow. All right, again, this is that Greek form of a question that implies a negative answer. All right, the picture in seven, he says, I want you to see that I'm not talking about just human terms. All right, he says, I want, this is not just man's way, but it's God's law. Then look what he does. Verse nine, I, <laughs> I love this guy. For it is written in the law of Moses. Okay. Two things I want you to see here. In verse 8 and verse 9. Definite article before the law, you'll always see the word law capital. Okay. You'll see the word law used in a small l. And that means the laws of men. Anytime a definite article is put in the original language, it makes that the law of God. All right, so what he says is, is the law of Moses. And then he makes this statement. You shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. Now, <laughs> that has been one of the most butchered texts, uh, maybe in the top ten of butchered texts. I've heard that describe everything from... Uh, the one, best one I ever heard is that preachers are like oxen. <laughs> and I was like, okay... <laughs> So and, and I, I thought, well what the what is he getting at here? So I go to the text that he quotes, Deuteronomy twenty five, verse four. All right. You know what's amazing about Deuteronomy twenty-five? Absolutely nothing in that text about agriculture, animals, or anything. I mean it talks about that if a brother's um, When one of them dies, it's the responsibility of the other brother to make sure that that woman is taken care of even to the point of having children if he was single so that the name of the brother wouldn't perish and that the name of Israel shall go on. And it gives a whole bunch of detail on how to deal with that. Uh, Do you understand Deuteronomy is the second law? That's what the word means. And it was Moses giving it to Israel just before they were to enter into the Promised Land and how they were going to take care of the Promised Land. Chapter twenty-five is nothing but social events and social interaction and how to deal with it. But verse four says this: "You shall not muzzle the ox while it is threshing." Okay. All right. What in the world does that mean? Okay, the second law says this is what you'll do when you possess the land. There was a custom in Egypt. Okay, now I want you to think with me really quick with this, all right? There was a custom in Egypt that when they were bringing in the harvest and all of its husk, they would throw it on a big stone slab and they would, and it literally they, a lot of them were indented and they'd put a wall around it and they'd just pile it in there. They'd take a huge flat stone Sometimes it'd be round on a little puller, on a little uh, like a wheelbarrow, and they would hook it to the ox, and they'd have this ox just wander around in this pen. And as he walked around in this pen, this big stone would crush all of the husk and separate the grain from the husk. All right. Now think about it. If you were an ox and somebody put a muzzle on you, and you're in the middle of this pen, you would have one seriously frustrated ox, wouldn't you? And at some point, you're going to have to get in there with him. That wouldn't be any fun. So what they would do is they would leave the ox. If you've ever watched cattle graze, they just go moving, moving, moving. They think they're like having brunch. It's it's like a football player going into a uh, a buffet, all you can eat. And that's what the ox does, and he drags this rock around. Now, I want you to think about something. When Joseph took over as the head of Pharaoh's government, why? Why was he appointed there? Because he had told Pharaoh there was coming a famine. So what would be one of the keys to the Jewish nation that existed in Egypt? How to economically and efficiently do what? Produce grain. Why did the the other brothers come into Egypt? They were looking for grain. Alright, so the second law, 400 years of captivity, the second law given after 40 years in the desert says when this beast is grinding, what happens? Don't muzzle it. But I find it interesting because in the Word of God, it's stuck right in the center of interpersonal relationships between men. And look what it says at the conclusion. God is not concerned about oxes, is He? Okay, now listen. God is not (laughs) anti-ox, all right? I just want you to know that he's not a PETA guy, an anti-PETA guy or anything like that. Uh, But what he is saying is, God, one of the things that we really have to pay attention to in my studies of the Old Testament is God hates injustice. And if you want to see God's judgment quickly, be unjust, Uh, He tolerates all kinds of things that I would never tolerate, but he will not tolerate injustice. That animal, it would be unjust for that animal to work. Okay? Listen, I I read this and it says, God is not concerned about oxenism. Now the first thing that comes to my mind, and this is the way my brain thinks, is how many oxen are going to go look at Deuteronomy? Okay? I mean that's you know that, I know you guys' brains are thinking Man, that guy's an idiot. But I am telling you, that's just the way I looked at it. What would an oxen do with this? Okay, now understand he's not against cows. Alright. Psalm 147 9, Job 33 8, or thirty-eight forty-one. it says that God feeds the beasts of the field and he cares about the animals. Matthew chapter 6, he says he's feeding the birds. If you go back to the book of Revelation, he has this great big barbecue for the birds. Okay? And I'll let you go look that one up. I don't really want to get specific about it. Alright? When God writes this thing out, he's not talking about oxen. Why? It's in the context of people. People. Look at verse 10. <clears throat> or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Okay? Now what you have you know, is the New Testament commentary on what? Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 4. Now listen. You've got to grab a hold of this. The new the Old Testament is a picture. The New Testament is the realization of the picture. You've got to get a hold of that. I love the Old Testament. Don't get me wrong. But I'm not into shadows. I'm into the real thing. And he's saying that is this for our sake? He answers it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Okay? It's not about animals. It's about social and economic relationship. A man should be able to earn their living from their labor. Simple principle. All right? If God requires, out of Deuteronomy, if God is requiring that ox spending its strength serving man, that ox should receive a reward. Simple principle. All right. How much more is a man who spends his strength serving God? That's the principle. Look what he says: "It's for our sake." It was written. Okay. I kind of look at it this way: that ox has a built-in incentive, doesn't it? I mean, if that ox takes a big old mouthful of husk, And kind of and he drags that stone around, comes back around in the same place he can pick up nothing but pure grain. That ox is all of a sudden gonna get motivated. Right? Let me ask you something. How about a man? If the reward continues to increase for increased production, does man work harder? Everybody talks about why did communism fall? What's the incentive in communism? There isn't any. Every single human being under communism gets the same pay for the same work, the same amount of raises, no matter what happens. You know what happens? Handful of man and his fallen nature will say, I'm going to get the same pay. I'm going to get... It doesn't matter. I'm going to get health care and all the rest of it. And I'm not going to do anything. Why? Well, everybody else is doing it. And I'm going to get the same money. And so I'm just coasting. Listen, I grew up in Union country. Southern Ohio. We had steel and cars. I think they're kind of related. But uh, it used to be. They're not anymore. It's plastic and cars now. But it used to be steel and cars. I mean, you had to have something that would rust. But... uh, I watched that all the time. I watched it all the time. I literally watched corporations close down because they wanted more and more and more money for less and less work. Okay? I remember when I came out to Colorado, I got a job as a uh, an electrician. And it was a union shop. And the guy sent me up to Bridger Power Plant, right? You know where that's at? Rock Springs, Wyoming? Okay? And they were going to put a big old sign out front that said, Bridger Power Plant. we were produce electricity and they wanted to put a, a light up to light the sign okay well i had to put a temporary power a post up just has a little outlet on it and all the rest of it so that the guys who d- worked on everything would have temporary power the, the carpenters the the union carpenters and i was a union electrician all right i went up there and i stood around for about two hours nobody there so i finally took a post hole digger dug a hole put my post in drove my ground rock put the dirt around and left I was fined $350 for that you know why? a laborer didn't dig that hole okay where's the incentive for men in that? there isn't any God's word says you have an incentive if you work you should earn from your work even if you're a dumb old ox. Alright? So the incentive is always there. Alright? When a man gains his living out of his labor, he, he may tend to make him labor all the more diligently. Now listen, I know the man in his fallenness. I know all of that. But the truth of the matter is, the best employees in the world should be Christians. Right now, there's a great movement in the lands of Russia to find Christians to put them in the position of leadership to teach the Russian people what it is to work. Now listen, if the communist president, Putin, can see that, what's wrong with us? Why? In Russia, when it says, you will work, the Russians cherish it, and they work as unto the Lord. And the Russian people said, you know what? The people who are doing the best job and their best employees are who? Christians. Now, I've been in in construction and a few other things in this country, and I know that Christians have a bad rap. They tend to not be the best employees. They're always wanting to, quote, unquote, share the gospel. Okay? Do you know that if you spend time doing that to your employer, you're only stealing from him? In light of God's Word, that's what you're doing. I mean, that sounds harsh. But the Apostle Paul's argument is valid. All right? Sometimes a person in Christian service has to go out and earn their living. And he knows that it is service to Christ. And he's not just earning a living to the King. Okay? Now listen, I understand that some disregard this. Okay? And I understand that there are people, quote-unquote, in the ministry who look at it as earning a living. And I I understand all of that. And there's times that it tends to be to produce um, what I will call, I'll use a biblical term, slothfulness. Okay? Now listen, ask yourself some questions. Look around, look at some of the pastors and tell me that them men ain't slothful. Okay? And, and I don't say that to, to offend people. I'm just saying that if you don't physically work, um, there used to be a phrase that I heard that came out of the South that they have pastor hands. You know what that is? Very soft hands. Okay. Now some people in this room, you, you do a job, it's at a desk, but that noted that somebody who didn't work with their hands and had a connotation to it that said that they were a little bit on the lazy side. And I have seen this. I have seen this a lot in the quote-unquote ministry. And I tell you what, it is shameful. But I don't have to worry about it. God will judge it. All right? Yet there are times that I see people in the pastorate or in the ministry um, that are more concerned about their earthly success then they are the eternal success. Alright, yet there is a biblical principle here. Look what he says in verse 10. It was written. What? Now I love this phrasing. Watch what he says here. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope. Alright, now stop right there. Did anybody remember this parable that Jesus taught? The soils, the four soils. I can't help believe that Paul ain't thinking about that. Alright? Have you ever thought about it? He's already made earlier in this book that some sow, some water, some reap the harvest. Now let me tell you something. I've been around long enough to spend some time plowing. Okay? That ain't the fun job. (laughs) The watering is the fun job. The harvesting is the fun job. The plowing ain't fun. OK? I can go back and show you in history this, that, or the other. I don't have to. I know that busting up old nasty ground ain't fun. I don't care if you've got a John Deere tractor or if you've got a shovel. It is not fun. OK? It is dirty, it is hot. And what reward do you feel like you get out of it? You get dirty. All right? But he says that the plowman has a hope. What is the hope? Same as the thresher. Same as the thresher. What is he giving you there? Incentive. Listen, and, and people get, well, you know, but you have a high calling from God. Let me tell you about my high calling from God. My Lord Jesus Christ says, I come quickly and my rewards are with me. And that's why I'm in it. And you guys can say, well, you sound like a pagan, heathen. Let me tell you something. When Jesus says He wants to bring me rewards, I'm ready. That's what He said. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. So think about it for a second. I mean, you can't say that. That's hedonism. You're into materialism. No, I want Jesus' rewards. I'm not interested in these rewards. He says, I come and my rewards are with me. What is that? That's incentive. Should be. I mean, isn't it first John it says, I don't want you to be ashamed at his appearing? I mean, that'd be like Jesus showing up empty handed. Why? I'm ashamed. I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing. But but see, if we look at it from that perspective, the Apostle Paul says there is a hope in everything we do. I don't care what you do. You can sell insurance, you can be a computer guy. Uh, you can. I don't care. You can dig post holes. You can. I don't care what you do. You have an incentive in everything you do, don't you? Money. Why? So I can have entertainment, or I can have. Well, I don't know what you spend your money on. You know, I, whatever you spend your money on, I do this so I can have money to do something that I enjoy. Okay? Ain't that what we do? it? What about the man of God? That's That's Paul's argument. What about the man of God? Is that right? Well, no, he should be doing it for the higher calling. Ah, but now you violated a biblical principle. Okay? He gave you the illustrations of the soldier, the vineyard, and the herder. Why? And we always say, is this just human knowledge? That's just the way we are because we are in the secular. You are in the... Ministry, You know what? You can't separate them biblically. Did you know that your job is your ministry? Did you know that what you do in your job shows your fellow employees and whatever line of work you're in your commitment and exaltation of the God you claim? Or... The lack of. Did you know that? I mean, I'm guilty of it. You've heard. I've even made a statement from the pulpit. Dan, I need you to erase all of those tapes. Okay? This is the statement. There's a reason they call it work. Erase that now. Okay? Why? Because we look at it as work. Instead of a chance to exalt my creator, my savior, and my sustainer. Paul is applying to him himself that there's a hope for the servant, is there not? Some of you say, yes, some of you says I wasn't paying attention. I'm still thinking about work. How <laughs> long we were talking about is serving in ministry. okay? Paul is applying this in a way, and he's saying it from this perspective. I should be able and should, every missionary, every pastor should be able to labor, with the anticipation that out of that labor, it's going to come financial needs. They should be met. Out of that work, there will be rewards. Right? Okay. The interaction part has fallen apart. All right. right. Tom, Tom says, Tom says, I'm, I'm, yeah, sure. All right. All right. Look what he says in verse 11. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? Whoa. You got to like that Paul. Of course, I guess it depends on where you're at in your relationship. My position, gosh, you got to like that Paul. (laughs) He He just beats around the bush. You know what I think about it? Life-transforming things I have given you, eternal stuff I have given you, you know, the forever things I have given you. Is it any big deal that you would give me some material things? That's what Paul's saying. That's an obvious question. Many times, our mentality, and I shared with you some of these illustrations, better not give them too much. I mean, they are serving God, and we don't need them to get too confused over material gain, right? Serving God, what higher calling is there? I mean, let's be realistic. He has that high calling of God. What's He going to do with extra? Okay? Now, the only reason I'm giving you these illustrations is I've heard them. I've heard them. We don't want to give Him too much (laughs) that... What, then he'd have to worry about being a steward of it and we don't want to add that weight, that burden upon him of trying to how to be a steward of too much money. You know what I've learned in my life? Please understand that uh, this is what I've learned about men and women in, in ministry that are preaching and teaching and the power of God. I would rather give them more than they would ever need and let them worry about how to be the steward of it. Okay. And I I know that you may from your position say, well, you're up there telling us so, uh, but um, I have practiced that all my life. Because I look at a person who is sowing the spiritual things. And, um, you know, you, you think about the things that you invest in you spend money. I mean, the big thing now in, in politics is health insurance. Why? Well, doctors make so much money. Okay, no insurance people make so much money. But that's a different, different subject. <clears throat> a doctor can only take care of your temporal needs. What does the man of God do? You know what a bizarre text is? It's out of uh, Hebrews thirteen, and I always kind of I like to argue with God on this text. To be honest with you, um, I, I believe God is sovereign, but that Hebrews thirteen says, um, talking about the elders, that they have care of your souls. Okay, and I kind of get ticked off about that. I'm, you're sovereign; they're your sheep, and some of these souls I wouldn't want anyway. And I mean, you guys, say, well, that sounds, whatever. Um, part of me argues with that because I, I look at that and say, but you're sovereign, it's your flock, why are you blaming me? Is that, I mean, is that wrong? Know, maybe it's wrong. But there's a part of me says, I don't want, you, you just opened the door and they walked in, it ain't my fault. I was sitting here minding my own business. And have you ever thought about that? you ever thought about the elders of your church have to give an account for your soul I can give you the rest of the text if you would like or I can let you go read it Okay, it's Hebrews 13 you'll see it I'll just let you read it alright why you know, at some point in my life, I will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and give an account to all the souls that have been trusted to me. That's kind of spooky. I mean, it is for me. And, and you know, yes, I know God is sovereign. I understand His power, His majesty. I understand all that, but I also understand what the Word of God says. The Apostle Paul says, Am I deserved of some material gain here? And Stephen Olford's book on this text, it's an interesting read, he made this statement, I quote, Gracious giving is only and always generous, unquote. Did you get that? Gracious giving is always and only generous. Generous are only and always generous if it is gracious. Why? God loves a gracious, generous giver. Why? There's a phenomenon that is happening in Colorado that's kind of funny. Let me explain it to you. There's a movement that is bizarre. Um, Again, I don't want to get all the motives that are there, but a lot of the good pastors, quote-unquote good pastors, are being taken out of Colorado and going to Texas. You know why? Income tends to be three times more than Colorado, and the cost of living tends to be half as much. Now you can say, "Well, that sounds like I don't care." If you've got kids and they're growing up and getting ready to go to college, you've got to ask yourself some very hard questions at times. Mine, I just sell mine to slave traders. But, uh, uh, but, uh, the, the, but, do, why is that happening? <laughs> You know, I see us at times that almost we think uh, this vow of poverty. Can anybody tell me where that's at in the Bible? I can. It's in the Vatican catechisms. Interesting. You know, I, they, I, they need to be concerned about the things of God. I don't need to confuse them. Okay, I want to close with that, that thought. Okay, If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much to reap material things from you? And I shared with you guys that I'm not here complaining about my wages. I, if you don't believe me, there's nothing I can do to convince you of that. Okay? That is not what I'm complaining about. But I had to think about this too. Alright? Do you know what God has given you? Every single one of you in this room? No, 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 don't, don't, don't get... i see some of you shift to spiritual. I'm not talking about shifting to spiritual. Do you know what God's giving you? Many of us own homes, or you and the bank own a home they sharing, <laughs> right? Many of us own homes. I mean, you could live in Iowa. <laughs> Look at where you live. Have you ever thought about how beautiful a place you live in? I have. I mean, it's just kind of a cool place. I mean, it's nice. Yesterday, I took a little ride on my... Oops. Anyway, and I was out <laughs> riding. And I was watching the leaves change. And I could look up and see the big mountains with the snow on them and the hair was blowing through my wind. <laughs> I said that on purpose. And, uh, and I thought, man, God, you did a good job with this place. I mean, even though it's tainted with sin, this is like a cool place. Okay, And then I got up a little farther in the mountains than I should have been, and it became a cold place. And I just thought about that I live here. Let me give you another one. Do you ever think about what a privilege and a, how merciful God was to make you an American? Women, you could be under the Taliban. Yay, sign me up. But have you ever thought about what God gave you? And the fact that you were born an American, that you were born, uh, that maybe you moved, or maybe you were born here in Colorado, and how cool it is to be in Colorado, do you know what it is that many of you have jobs? Decent, paying jobs? Do you know where that came from? The Lord of hosts. How about your education? Yeah, but I worked at, who gave you the brain that you had the capability to work at it? How about your health? How about your families? Yeah, but my in-laws, well, I'll tell you what, 50% ain't bad. (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? Has God given you good things? Even in spite of our rebellion at times, He still gave me good things? Let me give you some other things He gave you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 13. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. And He transferred us I mean, it's one thing to get rescued, but He actually took and pulled you out of that pit and He put you in the kingdom of His beloved Son. You have been removed from the authority of darkness. Even now you have been removed. In whom you have redemption, and it is only the forgiveness of your sins. Which one? All of them. You ever thought about that? Chapter 2, In Him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. You ever thought about that statement? That bugger there will preach for years. The fullness of God and in him you are only complete. What are you lacking if you're complete? Hmm. Made complete. Then verse 13. You know what? You you were dead in your transgressions, in your sin, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. He made you alive altogether with Him having forgiven us all of our transgression, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of the decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to a cross okay leave you with this question when jesus christ, i want this personal this is personal this is you this isn't for me or the body of christ or anything for you when jesus christ saved you what did he withhold from you Okay, now ask yourself a question. Are you a follower of Christ? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother Paul. And thank you for this wonderful text. Lord, I just pray that my brothers and sisters uh, hear from you. Not necessary. I don't need them to hear me. Father, it's, man, I think about what you've given me. I, I deserve nothing. I deserve hell. And yet, by your mercies, where I live and what I am allowed to do and the privilege of being part of your kingdom. Father, I pray that we walk from this place all with that forefront in our our mind, our thinking, and we become consumed by it. Father, we become children of gratefulness. But we also become children generous to share all that you have blessed us with. Thank you, Lord, for nailing it to a cross. Thank you, Lord, for saving us out of the dominion of darkness. Thank you, Lord, that you have poured your love upon our hearts, that we may literally walk as you walked. Father, may we understand that everything is happening to conform us into the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, at times it may be painful Father, let us be abundant in joy to you, my Lord, my Savior, and in Christ in Christ alone. Amen.